Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us while we dive into Scripture to dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave us questions and feedback as we journey through His Word. Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We are delighted to be here. Got God's word opened up, but before we dive in, quick conversation. So I'm going to look at you guys to kind of give some examples or your wisdom. Uh, let's say you are having a conversation with a friend and he says something that's 180 degrees of what you believe. How do you handle the situation? Do you get mad at him and say, what did you just say? <laughs> Don't ever talk to me again. Or do you open your arms and make him see the light? <laughs> or do you say, oh yeah, cool thought, bro. And then move on to the next topic. Okay. Because I'm okay. sure I'm sure people have experienced all of those uh, choices, variants. I'm sure we've taken each of those variants before. Um, but there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I think it depends because many people will not agree on everything. Now, if, I think what you're specifically talking about is theological. Yes. If you've had this conversation with that person before um, and you're still at a disagreement, nobody's kind of understood each other all the way. If you think it's worth actually talking about it, then talk about it. Um, If the person says it accidentally um, and doesn't really mean anything to it, just let it, you know, pass by because you've already had that conversation um, if he says it out of spite towards you, like, come on, dude, do we really want to go there? Yeah. What's his intention? So I think that's if you've already talked about it. Now, if you haven't talked about it, I think that's a good question as to how do you approach the subject? And cause you obviously want to still have that friendship with the person, right? Mm-hmm. You can't throw away everything you had in the past because of one disagreement. Yeah. Plus you got to, the way I like to start is just give them the benefit of the doubt. Just like don't jump to conclusions. Just start with questions. What do you mean? And I understand that we all have a bias. We all grow up with different background, different upbringing, different experiences, and that builds our belief systems. And I know our belief system should be in the word of God, but it's just, you don't know exactly what another person, why they hold that certain view. So just trying to open that up and just see where they're coming from and then just always go to the scripture. And above all, love, you know, it shouldn't divide our relationships just on these minor things. Like the major doctrinal are, you know, core. They're Mm -hmm. non-negotiables the secondary, the tertiary, there's wiggle room there. Yeah, I think there's a lot that that it is depends on, right? So it depends on what crowd are you in? Are you in a Bible study? Are you just talking together outside before you go along with your day? Um, do you have time to get into something, right? So you have to weigh those options. And then at the same time, I like that you guys both mentioned kind of what the topic is and of what priority it is. So if it's if it's something that's a uh, primary core doctrine and this person says something that's completely not biblical, I think you should at least question question and 
ask the person to explain it again to you because you sometimes you do mishear things, right? Mm-hmm. Or some people like me, for example, sometimes I say something, I'm, not, I'm explaining something, but I, I just don't do a just explanation. And so mm-hmm. oftentimes I know what I'm talking about, but the person that's hearing might not understand. So sometimes things come off the wrong way. So it's always good to ask again and be like, well, what do you mean by this, right? And so um, also I agree with Vlad, do have that, listen to the person. I know, I know some things are, we, we tend to rush to rebuttal, but listen to the person and ask him again and just listen to him openly and try to understand what that person's saying. Cause he could say a statement, but then when he explains it again, he could, t- he could show you that he really doesn't believe what he just said. And or so, doesn't, doesn't even fully understand. Might've heard it in right. passing, didn't, didn't do any proper studying. And now it. that, that takes the discussion into a different direction because mm-hmm. now you're not necessarily rebuking the person. You're just, well, let's look into it together. Right. So there's different approaches. And I think the more you have of it, uh, the better you'll be at these things. I know, to many of us, as to me especially, this is a, a newer thing um, because the more you learn in, in your spiritual path, you will start to see how others uh, understand different. And so you want to you wanna give them what you got, but you want to do it with love. And sometimes you have to do a little by little. <laughs> I know. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, we could be tempted to um, do a triaxle dump truck uh, load of information about one topic. Just um, immediately unload on them <laughs> without even letting them finish their sentence. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's better to just give a little bit and uh, really take the conversation somewhere. So we're human too. I mean, we, a lot of us have pride and we have a very hard time to, <laughs> you know, admit that they're, we're wrong in some situation. Always a lot of people them. won't, won't admit. So you got to give people time. You got to yeah. work through it. Are you will also think about, are you willing to change your mind on something? So that you have to kind of weigh as well, depends on what it is, obviously. Um, but if it's something that you really are ignorant of, a field or a study or a passage, are you willing to go in and do the work to try to learn it or listen to the person? So, cause you could be wrong. Yeah. Um, it's, there's, it's kind of a sign of our society now. People are so divided mm-hmm. and they just yell at each other. And nobody really actually sits down across the table and talks, talks it through. Yeah. And I think we, it's a shame. One habit, uh, just sharing personal here. One habit I've been getting into is, um, I, I kind of know what, a, what my friends, what their views on are things, but I like to sit down and have them tell me why they believe something. And I just, I want to sit there and listen. So I've been doing that quite often because what that does is I practice self-control and, and, and keeping quiet as much as I can, because there's a lot of things I disagree with, but it doesn't mean I should speak out against it right away. So I like to just sit there and, and ask questions, but there's a method to it because the questions I'm asking makes the person really want to ask me something. <laughs> I guess in a way it's, it's healthy to do. Right. But yeah. Ask questions inquisitively and not yeah. like from a perspective of an interrogation. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. No, no, not no, those, really but like, but like, Hey, I noticed you do this, right? Um, what's your favorite thing about that thing that you do? And so that's just, you know, just like a, a easy example, but ask them why they believe something, why they where they heard it from and, you know, 
um, what makes them think that that's real. Yeah. And what, so do you, what do you mean by that? You know, get can them you, going. Can you go into a little bit more detail? I think it's a good way to ask questions because a you can probe to see whether or not like what they what you think they said is what they mean. Um, cause that's not always the case. I've had a few conversations with, uh, Austin. He was on the podcast a couple of times. He'll say something and I'm like, what? Yeah. And then I'll ask him a few questions and I was like, oh, you pretty much believe the same thing I did. You just kind of worded it in a way that I wouldn't and I didn't get it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way. And then also you can kind of see where they are. Have they actually fully studied it? Um, can they back it up scripturally? If not, then you're like, okay what you kind of said, maybe let's, let's talk about it. Do you have any passages to back up what you said? And here's a few stuff that I can do, but obviously lovingly, I think one thing, key point too, is be aware of your surroundings and who you're talking to, to do it respectfully and lovingly. Now, I think if you're in a position where you're in a Bible study or you're leading a Bible study and somebody says something and you just let it pass, um, other people can think that, Hey, that's fine. What he said is perfectly wrong. That's why I think you're obligated to actually challenge it. But again, respectfully, lovingly, unless it's complete and absolute heresy, you know, do you obviously and say, no, that's wrong. That's Mm -hmm. stop. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think those are probably some solid points to go by. And again, nobody's going to be good at this. Um, I do, I do want to say though, I do challenge people to, uh, go out and practice this because you'd be surprised how often people don't get questioned on what they believe. And so if they never get questioned, they never have to explain what they believe. And if they never have to explain what they believe, then they never will think different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think there's a statement or a comment or something that someone says where it's not even worth saying anything against it? It depends. Yeah. On the situation. How do you figure out that the person, that it, this is not worth the conversation? Their intent. Lovingly. Their intent. Sometimes people will say something to infuriate you or push your buttons just to get a reaction out of you. And you can kind of tell where they're coming from. And you got to know when to just not even engage and just walk away. Kind of what, what does it say in the Bible? Uh, do not throw your pearls <laughs> to the swine. To the swine. You kind of got to know like you, who to argue with and who not to. I do one of these things. I grab them by the shoulders. I love it, bro. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just not say anything else, even though I have a million things to say. (laughs) Sometimes that's the better thing because uh, I I like what you said, because a person can, some people are like that. Mm -hmm. Um, People will purposely say something to push your buttons because they, they know you're in a crowd. And so some people, do you think there's people that crave for drama. Oh yeah. So, so there's people like that too, right? They, they want you, you to me? say something. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, well, there's only two of you guys. So, I know. um, they want to say something because they know you will say something back and they mm-hmm. want that discussion, that debate. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful of those people, yeah. especially in a group setting yeah. because they can easily set you up and then you both will look Either one of you or both of you will look like a doofus and then everybody <laughs> will just be like, why are we having this? It just reminds me of uh, our youth days where this one individual, we have like a very long ride in a bus, it's like a church van. And this one individual would purposely bring up a very controversial topic <laughs> and he'd pretend he's on that side and everyone would wake up 
everyone's <laughs> engaged in this conversation and he's like he just sits back and then he just takes a nap while everybody's <laughs> at each other and then like this the, the the church ride is like over four hours or you know that sounds like some might do <laughs> that sounds fun we should do that just <laughs> debate for debate reasons take pick a side and go yeah. for it yeah <clears throat> um but yeah just beware of those things um but to answer my own question i think the point where you it's not worth it is and you guys actually mentioned this is if you realize right away the person is not really knowledgeable in the statement he just made uh, why i say that is because um even if <clears throat> even if you tell that person anything he doesn't know enough about the topic to even have a belief. And so what you tell him isn't necessarily going to change his mind because he won't really know where you're coming from anyway. And so I, I, it sounds confusing, but let's say it's like a, a doctrine or something, right? And then so somebody says, oh, I'm against that. I'm against that. But, but then you're like, why. exactly. And you're like, hey, well, do you know this doctrine? And the person clearly shows that he knows nothing about it. So what are you going to tell this person to change his mind, right? So talk, I think talk the about it, see if they'll actually be listening or open to hearing. I think the approach wouldn't be a rebuttal or a debate as much as let's look into it together from scratch, right? If you have time. Or um, I think one one approach too is if somebody is against you, just be like, okay, what do you believe in? You know, not necessarily try to say, this is my thoughts on this subject. Just say, okay, what do you believe on? Can you provide some scriptural evidences? Because seriously, ask them. Because if they're, it is contradictory to you, and maybe maybe you're in the wrong, unless you've actually done the research, like, and you know for sure mm -hmm. what you believe in is correct, maybe they have some new evidence. But I think one way to do is be like, to just ask them, hey, can you, can you show me um, how you came to this conclusion? How did you come to believing in this doctrine? Yeah, I think, I think if done right, challenges are, especially when it comes to scripture, uh, challenging each other and trying to understand each other is very vital. Yeah, planting it, the seed. Yeah, for sure. Um, it really, it really helps you defend what you believe, but at the same time, it helps people learn. And so, um, as long as the foundation is scripture and scripture only right yeah so if the foundation is anything else keep your opinion out of it when it comes to theology or uh i read in a book yeah so you don't want to say what you think you want to say what it says and so the more you bring up the bible as the authority to any topic or comment i think uh that'll really give a playing field of uh, this person's coming from, this person has an authority. It's not his opinion. So you're keeping yourself out of it, right? Here, here's a topic. Afterlife experiences. I know I'm kind of threw that out there, but it's like life after like life visions. Yeah. No, you die. Yeah. You have these experiences Go of heaven, going to heaven, yeah. going to hell. Yeah. You, you died for eight minutes. Right. Yeah. And people come back and they say, Oh, I've seen all this. I've seen all this. That's, you cannot make doctrine based on personal experiences. Mm -hmm. You cannot make decisions or anything because of what that person saw. Who knows? Maybe they just had a dream. Um, scripture is number one authority. If it contradicts scripture or if it's not anywhere backed up in scripture, just say, uh, cool story, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of work. You know, there's a procedure that is written for a purpose, a rule, 
what you're supposed to do. And if someone, if you see somebody doing something wrong, instead of saying, hey, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> like, hey, this is where I reference what I'm mm -hmm. saying. Go, this is the document where we should go and reference to do it correctly. But if you just say to a person, this, this is the way you should be doing it. There's no authority there. Right. Don't try to be the authority, yeah. right? So, um, but again, that's where your knowledge of scripture comes in, especially when it's uh, a theological topic. The more you know, you know, the more ammo you'll have from scripture. And so you need to really catch up. And I would recommend catch up on your core beliefs, your primary doctrines, understanding Jesus Christ, the gospel, the Trinity, as much as you can. Trinity is really hard to understand, but uh, biblically just the basics, right? If you get those basics down, uh, move on to the next thing, right? And there's secondary doctrines. Try to catch up on those. There's so much that you need to kind of open your mind to and, and really learn and understand uh, because ultimately if you don't have these conversations, there will be a time in your life where it's either your child, your grandchild, your nephew, somebody in your life, your spouse will ask you a question. And then if you don't know the answer, cause you've never looked into it or were challenged. And so now you're in a pickle to look in is also to look at opposing <laughs> views, right? Yeah. Just so that way you can make your convictions based off of scripture and not because your favorite preacher or your favorite pastor said something. Um, my views are being a challenge right now in Romans seven. I'm listening to that sermon series that I sent you guys on um, whether or not this applies to non-believers or believers. When he says, oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of sin. Mm -hmm. At the, the second half, I think it's verses 13 through 25. A lot of people say that, that um, he, Paul is talking in his current, in his present state as a Christian. Whereas I'm listening to a sermon series right now by my old pastor in Florida. And he's saying, actually, I believe this is talking about him when he was um, a sinner. So it's like, I'm being challenged right now. So I'm, <laughs> I can't really give you an answer on what I believe right now, but it's like, I'm looking into different passages now and kind of looking more into Romans. That's as you mature. And I also want to say, don't be intimidated to share your faith. Mm -hmm. just a basic gospel to people. A lot of people think, oh, I'm a new believer. I can't really witness. I don't know all these doctrines. If somebody comes back to me and has a question that about evolution or something that I can't answer, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't dis, um, discourage people from witnessing. If you know the basic gospel and you can tell your witness and your testimony, that's enough to plant those seeds that God can work in people's hearts. Exactly. You're not the one growing the seed. So yeah. don't think that what you say ultimately will be the person's decision. It's what God will do after what you say. Right. That's it's such not, a good point. Yeah. It's not you. You are only planting the seed, right? Not even you're kind of, you're just putting it out there as, and God's Casting really, it. God's really the soil. God's really the nutrients. God's really the one that's going to make that seed grow. So, um, you can have, you can lose faith in yourself, but you can't lose faith in God, right? Because he will do what's right and what's, what needs to be done. Yeah, it's He'll funny. take care of it. Um, I was speaking of that same pastor. Um, we had a discussion. I forget why somebody, one of, um, he was at the beach. This is in Florida. He was at the beach. And then one of my buddies, I was like talking and then it, 
my buddy is a media answer. He's an American, so he must be Calvinist. So he starts asking him all these different questions. And one of them specifically on God's um, sovereignty in salvation. And he just said, you know, we're called to preach God. Uh, if God, uh, we plant the seed, we water. God is the one who provides increase. He brought mm-hmm. up that verse and said, that's our, that's our job and our responsibility. I have preached. If he rejects it, I move on. I do not cry over this person. And my friend was like, how can you not care about the soul of this person? He's like, if I cared about and cried over every single person, over every single soul that never repented, you know, I'd be out of tears in a day. Right. So it's like. And and Jesus didn't call us to do that. Jesus called us to spread the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, tell, tell people about him and about his death and resurrection. And so, um, and the salvation that he wants to provide up uh, from there, uh, the person is in God's hands, right? Yeah. Um, and another point is a lot of people can get, if they're talking to a non-Christian, you can start a lot of debates about science, evolution. Yeah. You can go down so many rabbit holes. You literally have to stick to the word of God and the 10 commandments and what the gospel. If you literally stand on that, they have nothing to refute mm-hmm. because they will always find a re- like a way to wiggle out any science evidences that you read up online. If you go straight to the word of God, what God requires, that's what pierces through to the heart and lets God work. Yeah. Speaking of piercing, um, <laughs> let's get into <laughs> Esther. See, Serge is not here. He would have cut us off already 10 minutes ago. I don't know. He would have been like, guys, like, way. Yeah. It's not a very cold I mean, open. It's a, it's a good topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot to say, but we do want to talk about scripture today. So um, let's get into Esther 6. We're trucking along in the story of Esther, and I think we're getting to the best chapter. Actually, we're at the best chapter now. Um, unfortunately, some of our all-stars aren't here. To- Number seven is also... Yeah, there. I'd say six and seven, they're both good. But anyway, um, before we get into six, I want to give a little bit of a of a contextual background of what's going on in the story right now, because um, to understand chapter six, we have to understand uh, Haman's plot uh, against Mordecai and what the king and all of them are going through. Yeah, so. just read a couple verses before. Yeah, um, so I'm, I'll just read nine, nine to 14. You think God, that'll be all right? Sure. So Haman went out that day joyful with glad heart. And when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and he sent and called for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him. And now he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther invited me, invited no one but me to come up with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all the avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high in the mountain and in the morning suggest to the king that that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman and he said, and he had the gallows made. So this is kind of like a buildup of what's going to happen in six right now. We see pride from Haman very strongly. All he's doing is telling everybody of his great riches of the banquet that he got invited to, of how the position he's in under the king. And so everything is going good for him right now to the point where 
um, he says that even all these good things, yet all this avails me nothing as long as he sees Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. So we, tech- we definitely see this hatred towards Mordecai, um, so much so that that's bothering him at that moment. Every blessing, he mentions all the blessings that he's had up to this point, that the king values him second to none, that he already had a private meeting with the queen and she invited him and the king only to another one. And he's like, he's pretty much living life at the pinnacle right now. Yep. Well, almost, you can see he wants more in in this chapter we're about to read, but he's, he's like, he's pretty much climaxed where he can get no other blessing, no other thing that he wants. He cannot get it because he's already attained it. Um, and here this one Mordecai will not bow before him. And so his entire life is in shambles. At least that's what he says. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we see that it's important to consider the surroundings of him, right? So his wife and his friends, those are the people that are really pushing him to make a step that necessarily he wasn't going to do well, until already, they offered it to him. Yeah. But, he already kind of did because he wants to destroy all the Jews. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say I'd agree and say that the intent of harm was already in his heart the whole time. Mm-hmm. So this suggestion of doing the gallows, let a gallows be made and up and, and, um, put hanging on it of Mordecai. I think this suggestion only pushed him further to want to do it. Yeah. So I think he was open. For his it. friends didn't like push him over the edge. They were of the same mind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like he was perfectly fine. And then they gave this evil suggestion to him and he was like, Oh, maybe I will do this. He was actually looking to figure out a way of how he can actually take care of this problem that he has. Yeah. And, um, we'll begin in chapter six. Yeah. Chapter six, on that night, the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds and chronicles and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about uh, Bikthana and Teresh, the two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ashuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows and he, that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the, to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes of the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man, the man, the man who the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse 
And he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all her friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have uh, begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Interesting. Wow. What a turn of events. Um, in verse one, before we get too far, I do want to bring up a point I think that's uh, worth talking about for a minute or two. Um, that night the king could not sleep, uh, so no one was commanded to bring the book so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of Chronicles and they were read before the king, um, actually one and two. But anyways, and it was found written that Mordecai told of Bethana and Teresh, the two of the king's eunuchs and doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So um, my point being here is some time went by from what Mordecai did for the king, right? Yep. So yep. Mordecai ultimately saves the king's life um, and goes back to doing whatever he was doing. Doesn't there's no scene made of this except written in um, the, the chronicles, the records. And so, what I want to bring up here is that Mordecai did a good deed, and he didn't necessarily get rewarded for it right away. Yeah. And so, um, this just goes to show that there's nothing that gets left behind, right? When God is working in the background of things he knows all the things that have been done. And so even an act like this, it, it comes back, it brings up, springs back up right into here. So it's important to, to keep in mind that um, Mordecai necessarily wasn't big deal in it or didn't want the, you know, the, the reward, the reward right away. And maybe, maybe he did, but he didn't act on it. Right. And so, um, but now, now it's brought back up, it's mentioned, and it has a huge part in this whole story, yeah. even though years went by. Yeah. I did want to bring up um, the way God's sovereignty is played throughout this whole book. Mm -hmm. And it starts when she went into the king, he said, come. Um, and then she's like, let me invite you to a banquet. The first banquet happens. For some reason, Esther never brought up her request. Mm -hmm. and God probably, maybe the, the events weren't right. We don't know. But for some reason, she didn't act on it. And she said, come back tomorrow. And literally the next day, everything changes. Everything, just all the puzzle pieces, just literally. Yeah, he, he goes home oh. that night yeah. on in this euphoria that he's had dinner with the king and queen and he's invited to another one. Oh, how great it is. And then he devises this plot against Mordecai. And then God just sovereignly intervenes because he literally that night was going to go ask the king to kill him in the morning. Yeah. Cause that's what they were suggesting. Hey, yeah. you can kill him in the morning and then you can have your lunch or dinner, or whatever with your banquet with the king and queen and everything will fall into place and you'll be perfectly happy. But God took away the sleep of King Ashwares. Yeah. And specifically put into the heart of the king to look through the book. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. What else? Usually it's like, I can't sleep. Oh, what am I Bring supposed to do? Bring me the most do? boring book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A Leviticus. Yeah. <laughs> this just, it's just mind blowing to, to understand that 
Yeah. If you're an enemy of God, you better understand who you're going up against. Um, because how powerless are we, right? Even even the king here um, lost his sleep. That's it. So God, God did what he needed to do. And uh, it's like, no matter what you do or no matter what plans you have that you think you're going to be fine or you think you're going to get further or you got one up on God, you never will. How high is 50 cubits? Uh, you, probably, you guys probably discussed it last time. Are you talking about the gallows? Yeah. Pretty high. Pretty high. The cubit is what? Your length 18 your... inches roughly. Yeah. So that's 75, 75 feet. feet. Pretty high. Give or take. Yeah, it's almost like... It a, would be taller than any other building around for the most part, right? If it was at his house. Hmm. Like a symbolic. Yeah. He wanted to show... Yeah, he built it overnight. <laughs> That's pretty big. <laughs> he, he built it overnight. Literally, he says that night because verse one in chapter six says, on that night, so that same exact night, the king has this dream and then in walks in... Uh, Haman. Haman waiting in the outer courts to have a it could have been for the king. It could have been a, a stake that's on top of a building. Um, he doesn't have to necessarily yeah. build it yeah, from the ground this, up. Yeah, because this word gallows. But specifically 50 cubits. Pretty It's high. like mm-hmm. made specifically to show. Um, Display. The, yeah. The, yeah. What happens to your enemy, to my enemies. Right. But like he has this plan that's going to, be fulfilled tomorrow. God takes away the sleep and rewards Mordecai for what he wasn't rewarded for. And it's, it's amazing how <laughs> the events just turn. Hammond walks in riding high. He's just like, <laughs> some people say right place, wrong time. That was a wrong place, wrong yeah. time for Hammond. And, and he walks <laughs> in and everything's just flowing. The King's like, come, yeah. come, I need to talk to you. And yeah. He, and he starts At, with like this. one at 1 AM or 2 AM. He's like, he's ready for the morning to have a yeah. presence before, before the King and the King's already waiting for him. <laughs> wow. This is perfect. Every yeah. just, everything's falling into place. It's a good thing. Uh, Haman didn't tell his plan to, the king beforehand. <laughs> this guy Mordecai. Oh yes. Speaking of yeah. the guy, what did you want to tell me? <laughs> um, it's funny. He the questions, the line of questions he asks him. Like, what would you, what would you do to the man that the king wants to honor? Yeah, and, and the king he, was literally he was asking him as a counselor. Yeah, right. And his full capacity. And then he turns it on himself, thinking that pride came out yeah. right before the yeah. fall. I think the king. Um, really valued Haman, Haman, because Haman himself says, um, uh, what's it called? Verse nine, and let the robes and horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. So he's like, he's saying most noble officials, the king listened and he was his most noble official. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he actually was valued. In his head, he thought of the most honorable thing that could possibly, how to elevate himself even further Mm -hmm. in his head. He's like, this is what I would love to have done to me. Right on a horse. Everyone proclaims that I'm the best of the best. But it's not just on a horse. You know what I mean? It's the king's king's robe that the king wore, the king's horse, the king's crown. 
mm-hmm. and the king's most noble official, he's pretty much saying second to the king yeah, or as the king himself to be treated as a king for a day. Yeah. Pretty much. It's, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much essentially. Cause that's what Haman wanted and proclaimed, just walk through the yeah. streets and yelling, look at him, look at him. Yeah. Draw attention to the guy on the horse. This is what will happen to, or this is what the king yeah. does to those whom he favors. <laughs> Little did he know. Um, in verse 10, the king does. So Mordecai is not known just as much as Mordecai anymore. I think in these couple of verses, they keep saying Mordecai the Jew. And I think that plays an important part because both of them have an understanding that Mordecai is a Jew, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing is hidden at this point anymore. But what's interesting is in verse 10 that the king says to do all this for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate and leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. And it's like, does he not remember the edict that went out? He, he Even did. though he did, he wasn't the one that did it, yeah. right? but he gave permission for it. That's yeah. True. He didn't ask. He just gave the signet ring. That's true. He just gave it to them. He was in the dark. Be like, do it. Yeah. And I don't think at this point he realized until because if he because if he knew that this was against the Jews, he would have been like Mordecai saved my life and I'm killing him and all his people. What's going on? So this is very interesting that this good deed of Mordecai comes out before he even found out about the edict. But if he didn't know that, maybe his reaction would be different when he heard the actual edict. Hmm. I'm trying to because, go back to the passage. I, for some reason, because, I remember them saying that he said the people. He didn't say the Jews necessarily. Yeah. But I want to. I want to make sure that I'm correct there. Yeah, he never told the king the word Jew, from what I remember us reading yeah. last time. Essentially, you're rebels. Uh, chapter three, verse eight. There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people of all provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. So he never says the Jews. He right. just says people. So, but, but makes sense ahead, why they jumping ahead later. Esther is going to mention her people. Mm. So what I'm saying is, the Jews were now more, even more valuable in his eyes, mm-hmm. because look how um, loyal uh, Mordecai was, and his queen. Oh, that's so a that good just point. Elevates. The people, the Jewish people, that they're actually very honorable people. So Haman actually shot himself in the foot. Yeah, big time for everything he did. <laughs> both feet. And both, both feet. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's mind blowing. Um, definitely not of human work. None of this could be possible. I think with our intentions, right? This is all so special. Yeah. Verse twelve. Um, yeah, I just want to point out specifically the King's horse and stuff. Um, the full edict of what he said, cause just so scripture's on my side and I'm not stating things. Um, seven through nine. Yeah. Haman said to the King for the man whom the King delights to honor, let Royal robes be brought, which the King has worn and the horse that the King has ridden and on whose head a Royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the king's most noble officials. Because if you actually think about it, handed to the noble officials, it's almost as if they themselves are crowning the next king. You know what I mean? Because mm. they are the noble officials. It's not like some random slave, but make it super official and that other people can see that it's done. 
Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, this shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, also, I think a reason why it says that the king has worn is because kings have many different outfits for different seasons, for different parties and everything. King could have a new party coming up that he's worn an outfit or an attire that he's never worn before, right? But here he specifically wants for people to know that the king has worn this before. Um, so that way when people see it, they will recognize it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's a thing of recognition. It reminds me of Joseph. Uh, I think when we look at it historically, Joseph was put in the position directly. So Joseph was almost the same as Haman uh, in the position wise, right? Obviously not the same person and personality and Joseph was with God. But what I'm saying is the position that they were in, it's Joseph pretty much had the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. All, All that was above him was the king's signet or the Pharaoh's, sorry, the Pharaoh's ring. Uh, Pharaoh's throne was the only thing that was above Joseph. Everything else was under him. So, so I'm, I'm like amazed of the timeline of this. He has the banquet. He comes home. He has, he consults, he builds a gallows. He comes to the King. The King literally says, hurry. All right. Yep. Pretty much saying, do not delay. Do this immediately. Mm-hmm. Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew. So he has to go gather everything together, grab Mordecai, go into the middle of the city. Um, he comes back and then verse 14, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. This is after he comes home and laments mm-hmm. to his wife and to his counselors. Um, I'm just like amazed at Hammond's been not sleeping as far as what we know. <laughs> we don't know. He could have yeah. taken some naps, you know. He commanded someone to build a gallows. Did and he? Took yeah, a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he comes, does all these things, and then immediately gets called again to chapter seven. Wow. But I know I kind of skipped a few verses. Well, it's that important we that this about. happens all yeah. before the second yeah. feast. Yeah. There is yeah. an importance to it because it could have been, the king could have said, reward him later. Let's get this feast over with yeah. or, or I didn't sleep all night. I'm going to go sleep and we'll think about this. No, this all happened. Yeah. So there was feast number one and yep. feast number two, right between the, the feast that, what, what are we going to say? 24 hours, maybe? Probably less. Maybe less. Everything changed. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely everything got flipped and God literally turned it all around. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's yeah, it's mind blowing. It's mind yeah. blowing. And man, Haman, you almost feel bad for the guy. <laughs> almost, you know? Yeah. Cause look, he's now how disrespected and how he lost all his dignity through all. One thing too, I'm kind of leading ahead. I'm usually going back, but in chapter seven, one of the eunuchs actually says, Oh, Haman actually built a gallow for Mordecai. Um, which is interesting because this all happened with, like you said, relatively short time period going back to the point where the gala was specifically made to show everyone um, because even the eunuch knew about it. I'm kind of leading up to it, but I'm just kind of my, my main point is it was built so high up specifically to, as a public display of the execution. Um, yeah. And I want to 
if you guys are ready, in verse 13. Go for it. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is a Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. What's up with that? Where did they get this from? That's pretty, that's a low blow because look how their attitude, I wouldn't say changed, but they're speaking truth. Would we all agree? Yeah. Yeah. So how did, how did this mindset go from verses 14 in chapter five to verse 14 or verse 13 here in chapter six? Because what they're saying is different at this time. Yeah. I think they're not foolish. I think they understand the history of the Jewish people. And like we talked at the other podcast, how Mordecai and Haman, they had the families, yeah. they go all the way back to the king. What, whether they were aware right, of it or right. not. So I think yeah. they're very aware of the Jewish people and they, I think they hated them for the reason why. And this was a clear sign to them that literally God, there's something higher that was controlling the events. Like if literally everything was changed in the direction of the Jews, in a mere 24 hours, you literally have no chance against them. I think they kind of, their eyes were open that you're not dealing with just any man. You're, you're going against something greater than even, you know, Mordecai here. I like my study note here. Uh, it says, neither divine prophecy nor biblical story or biblical history stood in Haman's favor. <laughs> it's like <laughs> when they told him that, um, I can't imagine the things that were going through his head, um, but it's nothing was in his favor at yeah. this point. And, and it's, uh, and it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but why, but again, I ask what made them want to say that? Do you think they saw fear in him after everything he reconciled? To I them? don't think it was fear. He was lamenting and he was, I think it specifically shows he had a head covered, right? He was mourning and with his head covered. So he was in sorrow. Yeah. Cause he, cause he, this happened to him. So mm -hmm. he was just torn. Um, so he came them came to them asking, I think maybe, and it specifically says the wise men. So I think maybe asking for consult or even for them to somehow sympathize with him. And they did give wise counsel, but I think they realized a little too late. And I agree with Vlad. They saw that there was divine intervention. Otherwise, none of this would have happened that same night. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It literally just happened. And they said, if he is of Jewish descent, you will surely fall. Mm -hmm. But it says whom you began to fall before. So at this point, they see that he's actually dropping in stature compared to Mordecai and raising a gallow 50 cubits high. People will know about it. The king will, the king will eventually hear about it and they did. So it's like, you know, the king honored this man and you wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. And man, and then when you read 14, it's that, that phrase, man, while they were still talking, <laughs> anytime scripture <laughs> brings that up, I think a Job right away, right? Because everything, when, when the downfall of, of Job's, when his, when his surroundings started to crumble, it, it kept saying, and while he was still talking with this yeah. guy, another guy shows yeah. up. And while he was talking with him, yeah. it's this interruption. And I think 
Hammond's already his life has been severely interrupted at do this you, point. Do you think Hammond was winded? <laughs> 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 oh man, that's good. That's good. Uh, probably, yeah. I think he's more winded than the disciples. To but when did? <laughs> when did? <laughs> um, when did he begin to fall? Yeah, and so. Um, just, just this, it, this sudden interruption, uh, uh, things could not be going worse. And, and, um, Hammond is crushed, I think mentally right now at this point. And so he has this discussion and before they're even done with this discussion, it's like, boom, this interruption. It's like, Hey, uh, the banquet is on. So uh, hurry up. The King's calling for <laughs> he you. He doesn't dude. even have time to take a shower. Um, he's been busy <laughs> build who knows planning or doing sawdust all over him from the gallows. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Bring uh, Mordecai See, to the city. See, could have done a sermon on this, dude. It would be the same thing. He'd be just put yeah. it in there. But there, the word wind isn't anywhere in here. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> Even though it was in Matthew, it had nothing. The wind was <laughs> beating against the boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Whoever has not listened to the uh, sermon review we did. They will listen to it by this point. It's long though. It's like the sermon itself is long. It's good stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so yeah, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and, and hastened to bring him into the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Um, it's it's a turn of events. And I, I remember back to what Serge said before we got to chapter six. He's like, next chapter, we really get to see God's humor in all of this. <laughs> I was literally thinking that I was listening to it, um, listening to this chapter and I was laughing because yeah. of how just like, I was like, man, God really has a sense of humor. The fact that he just flipped everything around on him. And mm -hmm. so um, real quick. And I think before we pray, just something to consider here. Um, Hammond started off high, right? His high point was at the end of chapter five. And so um, his word had a lot of credibility. His plans had a lot of credibility. Um, what his intentions were to the people around him seemed to be, seemed to be good. And he was, everything was going well for him. And so it wasn't. It, it was going well even before then, before yeah. he made this plot against the Jews, mm -hmm. everything was going well for him. And then, uh, you know, all of a sudden, all these things happen within a matter of a very short amount of time. And I want people to notice here that <clears throat> the things that happen here are mostly out of human control. So the king losing sleep, out of human control, right? Uh, the king, who knows whether he was tired, he just could not sleep. Uh, the book being brought to him um, was because of the lack of sleep. And that's right. what, that's what he was thinking of. Exactly. Yeah. And that specific book was brought out of mm -hmm. who knows a full library that could have brought. Him, and it's right? been over, it's been over a year since that happened. Mm -hmm. Because if we recall Hammond was, they were casting lots for a full year waiting to actually um, come before the King with this plan. <laughs> yeah. And then Hammond decides to show up early in the morning, exactly at the point where the book was being read and, and where Mordecai was remembered. Again, Hammond chose maybe the time, but what happened in that situation was out of his control. And what would happen when he did show up was out of his control too, right? It just, everything, everything happened the way it happened for a reason, because 
ultimately because God was working through this. And I think there's actually many more examples just in this one chapter alone where, yes, do people do their actions that they intend to? They do. For evil. For evil or for good, whatever the actions were, we intend to do them, but there's always something bigger going on. Mm-hmm. Um, God is always working on something bigger. And and sometimes, like we mentioned earlier, it takes time for stuff to unfold. You know, there's been many times, I think, in my life where uh, for some reason I've, I was praying about something or I was hoping something would get accomplished. And in my head, I'm like, I can't think of any reason why God wouldn't help me with this right now, right? Just And just in our human mind, we think like that sometimes. Like what could possibly be going on that God is, Delaying. Delaying this, like, and you think of all these scenarios and you're like, well, this went on, this went on, this happened. It's like, you almost want to say, please, God, just, just make it happen now. But keep in mind, God obviously has a way wider lens and a, a bigger outlook than you do. So um, just because something doesn't happen when you expect it, don't lose your faith and hope because it will happen when God intends it to happen. And just showing here as an example, this historical stuff, right? Things that happened years ago that are written down somewhere can come right, spring right back up. Um, this goes to, I think this goes to our, um, it's, a, it's just a very, very strong example of don't lose hope. And if you th- God knows, God knows he heard you. And his timing. Yeah. Yep. One thing to, to know, um, Esther as well as uh, Mordecai were done fasting at this point because she already had her first banquet before the king. But it doesn't necessarily mean they stopped praying, but they did pray and they were trusting in God fully. Mm -hmm. And we can see that God definitely stepped in and intervened. Yeah. The continuation of prayer, I don't think should be stopped. We shouldn't just give up. Um, But, have have trust that God heard you and he'll take care of it. Whether it's now or 10 years from now, maybe it's not the time. And I think the best, the best moments are, well, one of the best moments is when God does reward you for the prayer that you've been praying. But I think an equally best example is when you realize yourself, oh, Maybe that's, that's why God didn't want, yep. because it's important to have those moments in life too, because you got to think back, right? Um, I don't know if I brought this up or not, but but just from my personal life, there there was jobs and positions that, man, I, I prayed for and prayed for, and I could have swore that was the best step in my life. And then years go by and I ended up actually living somewhere else, you know, moved here and things are so much better here. And, and I think back, I'm like, if if God had rewarded me with what I was praying with, or answered my prayer at that moment, none of this, none of this good, good or even blessed stuff that I have now would have been around, right? Yeah. And so you have to consider that it's good to think back to those moments because what that does is it helps you really cherish that God does take care of you and answer you, and and He's there for you. Um, you just have to sometimes you have to stop and look and yeah. think, rely on His wisdom that He knows the beginning and the end. And you just need to walk in faith, knowing that he's your loving father and he will bring you where he needs you to go. Not what we need, you know, what we want in that moment. I think another view of this too, is if we look at Mordecai, he's probably the most confused out of everyone here. He's like, okay, I got to ride on a horse in the middle of a street. I'm still going to die here in a couple months because of this law. What's the point? If the king really values me, he wouldn't want to kill me. 
and um so he's like at least you know that's my mindset i'm i don't want to add into any thoughts but up, up to this point god is still not saved the nation of israel right he's only humiliated hammond so it's like just main, because the you main know, problem wasn't resolved yet mm-hmm. yeah you see other you see other you see other aspects of your prayers being answered but the most immediate one isn't trust in god he's in control and look at verse 12 right right after this happens says afterward Mordecai went back to the king's gate. He just went back to continue doing what he was doing there. He didn't go to the king. It doesn't say he went to the king and approached him and said, do you really honor me? Is there more to this? Right. He wasn't chasing that. He just went back to doing what he was doing. So it, I'm sure he was confused. <laughs> um, I, I also, I don't know if it says that Hammond uh, was the one that did all this. And I'm going to go with what scripture says, obviously, um, but that must have been an awkward horse ride. After all, after all this, I can't imagine like the conversation they had because you build the gallows for the dude, and yeah, if just a few hours you're riding him through town, yeah, saying, and so honor to this. Definitely was an enemy. awkward, awkward horse ride. <laughs> um, and and it's interesting because it says like Hammond hurried back to his house, so he was. This all happened, and he he's was riding riding the horse past the gallow. <laughs> <laughs> All the guys are still finishing and up the gallows. Mordecai was like, oh, what's that for? <laughs> guys almost done with the gallows. Oh. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, a lot of things are out of human control, I think, and that's that's one of the points, strong points, we, at least, that we can take out of this um, and, and really realize uh, God, is, God is much, much, much more powerful than any of us could imagine. So just be careful. Um, if you are, if you're still not saved, um, you haven't accepted Christ, keep in mind that, uh, ultimately scripture does teach that you are an enemy of God. If you're not, if you're not with him. And so just realize who you're up against. Um, one of the, any of these stories would be, would be, an amazing revelation that, uh, God is very, very powerful. And he, he changes the hearts of men, right? He's the only one that can do that. The mind of men, he's ultimately in control. And so, having that there's nothing that you can do to go against God and prevail. And it might seem like you are right. Hammond, we mentioned in chat at the end of chapter five, it's like he didn't have to worry about nothing. It seemed like all the cards were folding in his, in his place. Um, but it was far from it. So we'll pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for um, one more chapter of this amazing book and these circumstances and showing us that you are so much bigger and so much more powerful, Lord, and um, ultimately you're in control of everything and you have the power to um, alter and do things as you will and make things happen as you will, Lord, and you change men's hearts and you make things happen that we would never be able to do or witness or even understand sometimes, Lord, and we... I want to thank you for that because I understand that you're my father and that with all that great power, Lord, you, um, you look over me and you take care of me and you take care of all those who are, um, accepting of you and who are saved Lord. And you're always there for them. And, uh, I'm just so thankful and grateful that, um, I can be with you father, that I'm on your side and that anything, anything I do, you will instruct me and discipline me and be with me and, carry me through and uh, I want to join in this prayer that everybody that's listening and all my brothers here that are studying this passage with me um, ultimately you're in control of all of our lives Lord and we want to thank you Um, we want to thank you for your grace we want to thank you for the salvation you've provided 
through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. Thank you so much for your love and your mercy and kindness. Be with us and be with all those listening. May your name be praised. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to speak to your heart. So now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast with others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.